All right, everybody raise your left hand. How many of you are going to be here next week for the start of that series? Good, good. Glad you're all going to be here. You do not want to miss that starting next Sunday. It's been prepared for, planned for, and prayed for. Sermon series called Compelled, and this is a game changer. And so I hope you plan on being here next Sunday as you would every single Sunday. A father who was trying to talk to a son who was home for college over Christmas break. For those of you who are parents, you will relate to this story. He was trying to talk to his boy, and he said, how are you liking college? He said, fine. How's dorm life? Fine. Well, how's the food there? Fine. Have you picked a major yet? Yes. Well, what is it? Communications. (laughs) Arguably, the most famous line and the most famous sermon by the best communicator of all time comes in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Here's what it says. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Have you heard that? In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. I was reading that a couple weeks ago in my private time, and I was going to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, but it just stopped me right there. For some reason, a couple weeks ago, I just stopped on Matthew chapter 7. This has become so famous, this verse. We have given it a nickname. It is called the Golden rule. And I started to study it a little bit deeper. I started to look at other translations. One translation puts it this way in verse 12, treat others as you want them to treat you. Would you read that out loud with me? Treat others as you want them to treat you. Now, usually the question is, we start asking this whenever it comes to this line. So how should I be treating others? But as I was reading that, I realized I can't answer that question until I first answer this question. How do I want to be treated myself? And once I figure out how I want to be treated, then I can turn that around and say, this is how I'm going to treat other people. And so in every situation, by every person, whether it be at work, church, ballgame, school, uh, if it's a stranger, a friend, a, a coworker, a classmate, how do I want other people to treat me? How do I want to be treated? So I got out a piece of paper. I thought, nobody's ever going to see this. I can write whatever I want. How do I want to be treated? And I came up with a list. And then I prioritized it. And the number one thing that I put on my list, how do I want to be treated? I want to be respected. Aretha had it right. R-E-S-P-C-T. You guys don't know the song. Are you saved? Come on now. (laughs) But she had it right. I wanted, now, I could have written something about being treated like royalty when I walk in the room, roll out the red carpet, every joke I tell in a sermon, I want everybody to laugh, but that didn't even cross my mind. It didn't cross my mind one single time. I wrote down, I wanted to be treated with respect, and I started to realize as I was writing these down, and I was looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, how important this exercise was, because the golden rule of Jesus basically says, think it through, stop, pause. How do you want to be treated? And then once you figure out how you want to be treated, you treat others as you want to be treated yourself. Jesus is saying this would change the world, wouldn't it? If we all did this, this would change everything. I've assumed that you've seen it. We live in a disrespectful society. Have you noticed that? Has it gone by? (laughs) We live in a disrespectful society. Sometimes people give each other high fives the more disrespectful they are to each other. Oh, good one. I like that. And so we live in a culture that needs to hear this, yet God makes it clear that respect is necessary for life. The Bible says 
We are to respect our parents. The Bible says we are to respect people in authority. The Bible says we are to respect our church leaders. The Bible goes on to say that wives are to respect their husbands. And then it goes on to say that husbands are to respect their wives. The Bible even says when we are sharing our faith or defending our faith, we are to do it in a manner of respect. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And if you're saying in your head right now, well, there's a few people that the Bible left out. I think I can disrespect some people. I'm thinking of some segments. Well, catch this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. Show proper respect to everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. That's not a Facebook post. That is a command from Almighty God. Show proper respect to everyone. That is for every follower of Christ. So the million-dollar question is, how do you show proper respect to everyone? Number one, I've got a list. Aren't you glad? Here we go. Respectful people see everyone as an image bearer. See people as image bearers. Every person that crosses your path is an image bearer of the Most High God. This is number one for a reason. Every point that comes after this, if we would grab number one, all the others are easy. You have never locked eyes with somebody who doesn't matter to God. Every single person on the planet Jesus voluntarily shed his blood for. The person you believe is farthest from God is one decision, one step away from being your eternal brother or sister in Christ. See people as image bearers of God. Let me say it a little bit differently. God only treasures one thing in this vast universe, people. And boy, does he treasure them. Out of all the things he could treasure, he treasures people. It doesn't matter what language you speak, what education you have, what your hair color is, what your skin color is, or what your teeth color is. Everyone is equally treasured in God's eyes. And he even says to pass this on to each other, Philippians chapter 2, he says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Fred Craddock says, the major obstacle for entering the kingdom of God is ego. And I thought about, why did he say that? Because ego competes, ego compares, ego disrespects. Ego cannot allow us to see each other as an image bearer of God. Number one, see people as image bearers. Number two, respectful people learn how to differ with people without demonizing them. Differ without demonizing. Respectful people can have a spirited uh, debate without drawing blood. You know what I'm talking about? We can disagree with each other and still hold each other in high regard as image bearers of God. They can dislike the person's position on an issue and still hold the person valuable. In our country, we are losing this battle. 
We are missing this, and it shows a flow of poisonous lava is flowing through our land right now. Whenever we disagree with each other, it is spewed out across our land to the point where we used to not treat people fairly because of the color of their skin. We are now not treating people fairly because of the political side that they have picked. And we don't know how dark this is going to get, but it's worse than we think. And we don't know what the outcomes are going to be and what this is going to cause, but I have a bad feeling about what it's going to cause. One of the greatest examples of how to handle this is Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State. You remember Condoleezza Rice? She's in a hotel conference room one day in downtown New York City, and two men started to debate her on a subject. And at first they were debating civilly, but they soon realized they were on opposite sides of the spectrum. And so then they started to tear her down and they started to dehumanize her and they started to uh, make fun of her. And eventually, as the conversation went on, they started to demonize Condoleezza Rice in a public forum. Their decibel level went higher and higher. Their behavior went lower and lower. And she, when she was finally able to verbalize her side, she started with these words, with all due respect, with all due respect, and then she would verbalize her. And then they would come back. And then she started, men, with all due respect. She was later interviewed by a Christian reporter who witnessed this treatment, witnessed the public situation that she went through. And he said, man, I sure liked what you did. I like that phrase, with all due respect. I think I'm going to start using that. I liked how you said it calmly and you said it assuredly. And the reporter congratulated her on how she handled herself. And she said this. She says, sir, I used that phrase as a two-second timeout prayer so that I will, in fact, stay respectful, respectful in tone, respectful in spirit, even if others take the low road. Respectful people can differ without demonizing. Number three, respectful, uh, respectful people discipline themselves to believe the best about each other, don't they? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes the best. About 30 years ago, Michael Wilson writes, his company was flying him to the country of Vietnam. And he grew up where his uncle went to Vietnam in the Vietnam War, and he grew up reading about and hearing about how the Vietnamese, all they are are warmongering people, and when they see American blood, all they want to do is shed it. And he was a little bit nervous about going to the country of Vietnam for his country, to uh, some kind of a sales deal, and try to get his country uh, or, or his company into that country. And so as he went there, and, and, and by the way, it's true, there's nobody in this room who at least indirectly isn't affected by the Vietnam War. We have people in here who probably served there. You have at least family who was wounded or maybe even passed away. Americans shared bullets with Vietnam for 19 years, and so we get that. But here he is in the late 1980s, and he's going to the country, and he has this inner in our belief system that they are the worst people on the planet. And his company asked him to kind of venture into the north part of Vietnam, and he was even more nervous. And when he got there, he had a two-hour hiatus that whenever he decided, what am I going to do for these two hours, he decided to go into a park, into a local park, and he walked into the, into the local park, and he just started to watch the young men and the middle-aged men, and he said these men would have their wives or girlfriends with them, and they'd have their arms around them, and their kids would be hanging on their legs, and they'd be laughing and smiling and skipping and prancing through the park, and it hit him as he watched him for two hours. He actually out loud whispered, they are just like us. 
He couldn't believe it. They wanted a long life. They wanted to prosper as a family. They wanted happiness in their family. They wanted all that we want. They're just like us. And he decided to make a commitment right then and there. I am never going to disrespect the people again until I first visit their country and get to know them first. And we need to know this today. God is working in Vietnam. Christianity has grown by 600% in the last 10 years in the country of Vietnam. Isn't that good news? God is working there. And so, number four, respectful people. Don't interrupt others. So don't interrupt me as I'm preaching this sermon. (laughs) Respectful people, don't interrupt others or dominate conversations. Do you know what I'm talking about? Respectful people want to hear what others are saying because they value what they say. They value them as a person. And so they don't... Do you know why we interrupt each other? Because what we have to say is more important than what you have to say. (laughs) And we're thinking in the back of our head, would you just stop talking so I can say my thing? But respectful people say, keep going. I want to hear what you have to say. I hold you in high regard. I want to listen to what you have to say. And they don't dominate conversations. They open themselves up in the room. They're not back in the corner with their back to the rest of the people, creating a whisper click back there. Respectful people welcome others into the conversation. They allow others to talk and even encourage others to talk. Number five, respectful people use no incendiary words. Respectful people guard their volume levels and refuse to use incendiary words to make their point. Proverbs chapter 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word makes tempers flare. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word makes tempers flare. You know what's so hurtful about the upcoming election in 2020? By the way, 2020 is almost here. Have you noticed some rhetoric that isn't very kind? Have you noticed the sides not exactly using the most respectful kind of words? And you think it, it, it was bad the last three years? I have a feeling the year 2020 is going to be worse. The attacks go back and forth. By the way, neither side is immune to this. Both sides are doing it. So whatever side you're on, they've been involved in it. Respectful people decide that there are certain terms and certain names and certain phrases that I will not use because they are fundamentally disrespectful and they devalue other people's souls. They hurt. Words hurt. And when they, when they are said, they damage people. And so we all have to decide, am I a uniter or a divider? Am I a lover or a hater? Am I a builder or a destroyer? And we have to let God's word be our guide on this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 puts it this way. Do not let any unwholesome talk ever, ever, ever come out of your mouths. Hmm. Do not ever let any unwholesome talk, any corrupt talk, any disrespectful talk come out of our mouths. And then he tells us what to do, but only what is helpful for building, refreshing, encouraging, building others What would happen to our world if Ephesians 4.29 was obeyed? 
How much different would the election look in 2020? We wouldn't recognize it. <laughs> but only what is helpful for building each other up. By the way, that verse is for social media too. Amen. <laughs> I've seen Christians on social media act no different than the rest of the world and somehow think that Ephesians 4.29 does not apply to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tiki Talkie, or you know, whatever all those things are <laughs> that are out there. And we can say whatever we want. And social media has become a war zone for tearing each other down. Respectful people suspend in their vocabulary certain phrases and names and say, I will never use those words. It's what respectful people do. Number six, we're going to do some rapid fire, six, seven, and eight. And all God's people said, yeah, stay out of my preaching. Number six, respectful people are courteous to everyone all the time, everywhere. They hold doors open. They say hi. They wave in the car. Others may wave with one finger. We wave with all five. Welcome to Houston. I've learned the wave. I, I'm not saying I do it. I've, I've learned the wave. <laughs> Cut that out. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. I have noticed this. The people I respect the most in this world are people who are courteous to everyone always. I was thinking about that. And there are some people in high positions and high places, but they are never not courteous. Respectful people notice people others don't. They notice the cashier at the convenience store. They notice the waiter and waitress at the restaurant. They notice the landscape worker across the street. They notice the construction worker who's, who's at work at five in the morning. They never walk by somebody in the hallway and don't say hi. They would never walk out of church and not shake a hand. And when there's somebody walking down the hallway, they are courteous to everyone always. Don't you want to be that kind of person? That's what respectful people do. They're courteous to everyone always. Number seven, real quick, there's no stereotyping. Re respectful people do not stereotype. They refuse to do it. Sometimes it's tempting, but everyone is an individual. They carry the image of God with them. No stereotyping. Number eight, respectful people apologize immediately. When we learn that we hurt somebody we highly value, we say the two words that are so hard to say in the English language, lo siento. I'm <laughs> in Espanol. Thank you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's what respectful people do. Number nine, respectful people form opinions carefully. Would you do that? Would you become that kind of a person that forms opinions carefully and stay open-minded if additional information comes along? We're going through eldership training right now. It lasts about a year. I think, I think it's going to end in April, so we have a group going through eldership training. And whenever we sit down and, and get together, one of the things that we teach is this. Hey, you're going to hear some stories. You're going to hear a story. Hold your opinion, because oftentimes the first story you hear about somebody is not the most accurate. And that might be a story right there, Stephen. Somebody's wanting to tell you, okay? Oftentimes, what you hear at, at the beginning may not be the most, hold your opinion, let it play out, hear the other side, there's two sides to every coin, two sides to every sheet of paper, two sides to every story. 
Form your opinions carefully. Don't react immediately about somebody's character, about somebody's reputation, about what is going on around them. By the way, we ought to do this doctrinally. You know there's a ton of Christian books out there, a ton of Christian doctrine, a ton of famous Christian people that we can all turn on our TV, but that doesn't mean all of their doctrine is accurate. So when you hear one side, study the other side. And and let me give you an example. There is a growing, huge revival of a doctrine that we do not have free will. It's called Calvinism. It's called... uh, it's, it's Reformed theology, and whenever you hear it given, boy, it sounds good, and there's verses, book, chapter, verse given, and if you just hear it for the first time and you hear the guy convincingly, talentedly, give it, giftedly say it, you're going to be tempted to immediately form a doctrinal opinion without looking at... It's a doctrine that says we're just robots. You have no control over what you believe. God has already predestined you for heaven or hell. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no way you can choose to love God ever. No free will. It is a doctrine that's growing like rapid fire. And if you just hear that for the first time and you don't study the other side, church, be slow to form opinions. As the lead minister of Venture Christian Church, you may not believe this, but I get asked more than you think, what's your opinion about such and such? What's your church's doctrine about such and such? Even this last week, somebody emailed and said, where's your church's stance on abortion? And almost every week, I end up answering a question, what is your opinion on this or that. And at the last church we were at, it was a larger sized church in a geographical area. We were the largest church in the area. I would get weekly phone calls. What's your opinion on this? What's your opinion on that? And they would be shocked when I would say, I don't know. I haven't formed an opinion yet. Call me back in a couple weeks. Let me read about it. Let me study it. Let me call some discerning people about it. Let me be slow to form an opinion. And they would be shocked. Do you think they call me back in a couple weeks? They did not, because they just wanted me to pop off in the moment on the phone. But form opinions slowly, and when new information comes, don't be the kind of person that just resists the information. I'm not going to listen. Form your opinion slowly. Final lesson. Final lesson. And all God's people said. (laughs) Respectful people show up when they say they're going to show up and they do what they say they're going to do. Let's call it prompt and faithful. Prompt and faithful. People who know me well know that I'm a stickler on promptness. I get kidded about it all the time and it doesn't affect me a bit. I don't even hear it. But it is my feeling that if I have a meeting with colleagues at 10 o'clock in the morning and if I show up at 10.15, if I just prance on in there at 10.15 then I am fundamentally disrespecting their time. I have said that I'm a bigger player than you, I'm more important than you, and you can, I know you can't start the meeting without me, and, I, and your 15 minutes and you getting here on time didn't matter, and I am a bigger deal than you are. Thank you very much. Fundamentally, it is disrespectful. And so, any staff that I've ever led, any team that I've ever coached in sports, whatever it may be, any group, Where I have a say in this, we have a rule. If you are late to a meeting, even one minute late, your first words when you walk in is not an excuse. You say, I'm sorry I was late, and then sit down and be quiet. (laughs) Anyway, that is the rule. Because 
The commitment that you have made to others, if you do not hold to that, you are disrespecting who they are. And by the way, respectful people do what they say they're going to do. If you sign up to serve on a team here, you're going to be a greeter, children's area, nursery area, first impressions, whatever. If you said you signed up for this particular Sunday, then you be here that particular Sunday. You be a person of your word. That's what respectful people do. If you signed up for the 90-day tithe challenge and you signed that piece of paper, then you, make that, you made that commitment to God. It is disrespectful to God to not follow through. There's a book out there called I Sold My Soul on eBay. That's easy to do. And Hemet Mehta is the one who wrote it. He visited churches all over the country, mega churches, medium-sized churches, small churches, every kind of church, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational community of faith, whatever it may be, urban churches, rural churches. And he wrote a book on his findings about these churches. And he's not the first one to do that, but what made his unique is that he's an atheist. And in his book, he was friendly, he was respectful, he never said any bad words about the church, even though he's an atheist. But one thing he said as he went across the churches of the United States of America stood out more than anything else. No matter the denomination, no matter the size of the church, he said this, why can't Christians seem to get to church on time? If there is a God and this meeting is about him and these are his people, wouldn't you think being on time would be important? They get to work on time. They get to school on time. And he went on to write, speaking of those who walk into church late, I just want to know why they do so. Not everyone gets stuck in traffic. If church is so important, there is no reason to walk in late. In fact, if going somewhere to worship God is important, then people should arrive early. It seems completely disrespectful to me when people walk into the auditorium five or ten minutes into the service. And what's worse is when parents come in with their children who learn by example that walking in late is no big deal. It's just church, right? No need to get there on time. Is that what Christians want to teach their children? Well, let me say this up front. I think Hemet is being too harsh. I understand there's reasons you're late. The, the baby has a blowout in the diaper just as you're walking out of the house. I get that. Or sometimes you get stuck at at the light on Friday in 529, and you want to give up your entire faith in those 13 hours that you're waiting for that light to actually turn green because some guy can't figure out how to... <clears throat> anyway, um, some people walk in late because they're actually doing ministry out there. Our greeters are told to walk in here late to stay out there for a song or two. Some people walk in late because they're out in the hangout room. They haven't seen somebody for two months. They run into them. They give them a hug. They want to chat. Man, there's good reasons. There are some reasons to walk in late. And I get that. But at the same time, it's worth listening to an observation from an atheist who hears from people all the time that God is on the throne of my heart, yet I can't get to church on time. But I can get everywhere else on time. Maybe he's worth listening to. Now, because I've made such a big deal about promptness, let's end this sermon promptly. <laughs> Everyone stand. Shire, will you come to play? We're going to round third base and go home, church. I want everybody to look at the screen for a second. As you scroll down this list, would you ask yourself, is there one that leaps out at you 
Which one did the Holy Spirit nudge you on? For me, I'll just tell you, number seven, no stereotyping. I can easily stereotype. I can stereotype with the best of them. Thank you very much. Was one, other than number seven, did one stand out to you? Maybe differ without demonizing for you. Maybe, maybe number five, no incendiary words. Maybe form opinions carefully. When you hear a story, you like to tell everybody else the story so that you look smart. And then somebody's reputation gets crushed because you can't form opinions carefully. Was there one of those that stood out to you? Is the Holy Spirit nudging to you and you say, oh man, that was the one. Church, God will guide us on this if we want him to. You can become a more respectful person. And God will guide us. The Holy Spirit will guide us. This respect thing is a big deal to the world and to our country. But church, listen, this is a big deal to our new church. If we ever become disrespectful to each other, we could splinter like that. If the rich in our church ever become disrespectful to the poor, it would break the heart of heaven, wouldn't it? If the men in our church ever disrespect the women, oh, that can't happen. Or if there's a certain ethnic group in our church that ever disrespects another ethnic group in our church, it would cause chaos and division. And if the Astros fans ever disrespect the Rangers fans, we will actually allow that. We will actually allow that in our church. If, if God has nudged you today and you want to take a step in that regard and you want to make a public profession and say, you know what, I want to up my game in the manner of respect. I want to become a more respectful person. Would you repeat these words after me? Everybody say, I... Make a fresh commitment to respect everyone always. To respect everyone always. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your guidance in this. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who did this better than anyone. Whenever he'd come across anybody of any ethnic background, of any socioeconomic background, he was the king at respect. He valued everybody because he understood that everybody was an image bearer of the Most High God. He valued everybody's opinion. He valued everybody's background. And so may he be our guide. May, be, may he be our example. As we think about how am I going to treat others? I want to be treated. I want to treat others the way I've been treated. And so, Father, would you teach us to grow in this manner of respect, especially in this coming year, as we hear words, phrases, and treatments that is fundamentally disrespectful. Would we rise above that? Would we be a different kind of people? Would we stand out to a watching world? It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.